0: wave three news troubleshooters john boll and natalia martinez take you behind the investigation right now on wave three news now welcome to the wave three news troubleshooters behind the investigation podcast along with natalia martinez i'm john boll today we're going to be talking about the Horrible Christmas Eve crash that took the life of LMPD Detective Deidre Mengadote, And the Roger Burdett trial and case and all of the developments as they unfolded, as we investigated them uh, from Christmas Eve on through the trial, because Natalia covered most of it. So I guess we should start with the incident itself.
1: Yep. Um, on
0: 64, under the Belvedere.
1: On Christmas Eve.
0: On Christmas Eve.
1: So I'm going to play a clip um, when, you know... Th- she was actually on her way home and she had a Christmas hat on when she decided to pull somebody over for speeding. Um, and the person pulls over underneath the Belvedere. And that's when we later learned that an MSD truck came behind her, slammed into her car. Um, there were four people in the pickup truck that she had stopped for speeding. So um, I'm going to play you a clip from that night.
0: Lights flashing on the empty interstate, a procession breaking hearts on Christmas Eve. I can't imagine what her family is going through today, today of all days. She was known to her friends and colleagues, gave her life serving the community, which is something she loved to do. My heart goes out to her mother, her father. Her young son.
1: He was nine years old, her son, at the time of the crash. And I think that added, you know, an extra layer of tragedy because here's this little boy waiting for his mom on Christmas Eve and she never makes it.
0: Okay, a couple of questions for you. One is um, immediately the people on Burdett's side of the story started contacting me. Uh, with what would later be part of their defense about the place the vehicle was pulled over, mm-hmm. was not safe, and and she wasn't in the right kind of a car, et cetera, et cetera. Why don't mm-hmm. you uh, tackle those two big questions?
1: Okay, so let me first start with her car because uh, I did a series of investigations taking a look at her 2015 Ford Taurus. This is the same kind of vehicle that you and I would drive if we went to a Ford dealership and bought this car. The problem with that is that it wasn't a police-packaged vehicle. And what that means is they make, Ford makes an interceptor. Um, Dodge also makes a same type of vehicle um, where they have added safety measures because police have to chase people and pull people over and all of these other things. Her car had none of that. So that police-packaged vehicle, one of the main things that jumped out at us when I first started looking at the story was that, it has a reinforced trunk to where, and and the advertisements say that it could withstand a 75 mile per hour impact. Now that is crucial. Of course, we don't know if she would have survived or not, but I can tell you that the reason why her car caught on fire so quickly was because the back seats squat like just scrunched forward and the gas tank. Ruptured, Um, so so yeah. In her car, you know, it didn't have the. It's not a marked police car. You know, she had just small lights in the back of the car. And you're right. People called us, especially a lot of drivers, truck drivers, and said, you know, where that area was. It's dark. It has a curve. It's hard to see, and it was an awkward spot where her car, you know, ended up stopping at.
0: You know, one of the things, that detail about the gas tank rupturing mm-hmm. and able to withstand impact, one of the things that reminded me of was back in 1989, the Carrollton bus crash. the mm-hmm. uh, Worst drunk driving crash in U.S. history. Uh, 27 people died, 24 of them children. I covered that trial, six-week-long trial, and, and one of the most interesting facts about that crash was that n- they were able to testify to the fact, the state medical examiner was, that, Nobody died in that bus crash from the impact of the collision. It was Mm -hmm. 55 mile an hour, two vehicles hitting head on. The worst injury sustained in the Carrollton bus crash was one broken leg. Mm. Everybody who died died because of the ruptured gas tank. Mm -hmm. It was an older model gas tank that needed to have been replaced, and it wasn't. And so that gave the defense some fodder to say, hey, you know, Mm -hmm. this faulty gas tank is what really caused the problem. And, you know, that did factor into the jury's decision, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, she was really injured. She had contusions on her head. Um, She had broken her back. Um, She had a ruptured spleen. But no one could get to her because of the flames. Um, You know, there were other... There's another individual that was part of the trial that said he... Try he, he tried to approach her vehicle, but the flames were already knee-high, right. and there was just no getting to her. Right.
0: Okay, so uh, you've done a number of stories on the uh, vehicles themselves, so then we start inching our way closer to trial. And the real bombshell erupts, which is the uh, watching pornography.
1: Yeah, we had heard um, rumblings about this, and quite honestly, I held back on that information. And uh, in retrospect, in retrospect, I probably should have reported it uh, a lot sooner than I did. Um, but you know, I'd rather wait and be right. Then you know, jump the gun and report something, especially as impactful especially
0: as big as that was. Yeah.
1: Right. And um, I didn't doubt that that was going to be part of the trial. But what I was concerned about was a crucial question: and that is, was he watching that pornographic video at the time of impact?
0: And that was borne out to be, uh, when they got into testimony about that, they were able to testify that that phone was playing that porn Mm -hmm. from 2.12 in the afternoon to 2.20, an Mm -hmm. eight-minute span. The moment of impact of the crash was at Mm 2.17, leaving most people to think, well, okay, then he was obviously watching it.
1: And the way that they analyzed the forensics on his phone, it was... It was honestly impressive. I mean, they could tell whether the screen was open. They could tell that the video was, in fact, playing. So, um, you know, th- that was rather damning. I mean, and I think that that also, that fact alone, the pornography, was so impactful that I do think that it had, um, it, that it kind of influenced the jury Um to kind of not analyze the DUI portion of this as much as I would have expected the um, the prosecution to.
0: I had many people, just uh, laymen on the street who were following the trial, say to me and the defense, made this a big part of their argument, that, okay, but there's still no way of proving that he was watching the pornography. Except one thing I would submit, which was the fact that they have video of was it a couple of dozen other vehicles? 28,
1: 28, 29. 28,
0: 29. Getting over, mm-hmm. except for what looks like to be the one where the guy was watching porn.
1: Right, right. And that was pretty damning video. Yeah. Um, the defense tried to say that at, his, at, at the height at which he was sitting at, in an MSD truck, that combined with the position of the sun, the location of her car that was underneath the Belvedere, that... He couldn't see. But, you know, then again, there were multiple other, vehicles, you know, um, yeah, or trucks, trucks also. Sitting up high so like it that. kind of, you know, and I think actually the jury reacted um, in the opposite way. I think that may have hurt the defense some um, because here they presented a witness to kind of say, well, I drove that same, through that same spot at the same time of day with the sun in the same type of conditions and there's a curve and... It almost seemed like the defense was trying to blame the officer, you know, Mingadote, for having pulled somebody over at that spot, and that did not sit well. Um, well,
0: are the there journey. any, uh, you would know, are there any rules on where police can or cannot pull vehicles over?
1: No, and I mean, there's there's only so much that they can control, right? Because the other person that was speeding is the one who finally yes, pulled over right there. there. Now, I will tell you that a lot of officers have, have just asked or in conversation have told me, why does she have to stop there? I mean, there's no, no shoulder, there's no extra lane. There's nowhere for you to go. Um, But, you know, that's where that person stopped.
0: Right. Okay. Let's talk about the issue of impairment then. Um, Lots made of the impairment issue. And uh, we really don't know how much weight the jury gave it, but the defense in their closing said there is no evidence that this man was impaired at the time of the crash, right?
1: Yes. That was part of the defense's argument. And to be honest, I did not think that the prosecution proved their case in terms of a home run when it came to the DUI, and here's why: LMPD shows up to the scene to investigate the crash, which is normal because whenever there's an officer involved incident, PIU, their public integrity unit, handles the case, and they sent um, a, a impairment, an officer with specialized impairment training because they did not think that he was drunk. There was no evidence of him, um, having, you know, drank while driving. Um, but they did think that there was something off. So this officer, uh, shows up to the scene, not wearing a uniform because he was called in. Remember it's it's Christmas Eve. He's not wearing a uniform. He doesn't have a body camera. So he's conducting um, a sobriety test without a body camera. There's no video of this.
0: Except for the media. Except for the media, A couple, of, couple of TV cameras were rolling And
1: out. I mean, you couldn't have another officer stand there with you? This is probably one of the biggest cases that you're going to work. And the only video that existed was that of the media. Right. So that's one problem. Second problem. They didn't draw his blood until three hours after. Okay. After, so you know when you're when you're suspected of being under the influence, wouldn't you think you want to take that evidence right away?
0: And what did the blood test show?
1: I'm going to play you a clip from the defense. Here's an expert. And by the way, this is the prosecution's witness. Okay, this is in the defense. Hear what he says.
0: Because there's only seven amino clonazepam and not clonazepam, uh, I can say with medical certainty that. The drug was taken about a day or so before, and none since then. The hydrocodone, I have no idea when it was taken.
1: So there he says, there's only basically residual evidence of clonazepam, one one medication. And then he says, the hydrocodone, I don't even know when he would have taken it. But the prosecution's own witness is saying, he, you know, he testified that he must have taken those drugs the day before, right. because there wasn't a a lot of those medications left. Matter of fact, you know, as far as the clonazepam, he says there were only amino traces of it. So the actual drug had already been gone had already gone through a system.
0: Roger Burnett was called in on Christmas Eve too, right? Yeah.
1: Um, no, I, I think that he didn't intend to work those days because there was some speculation that he had hurt his back. Uh, what I did find out, though, is that he has to get or he had to get a medical certification in order to keep his commercial driver's license every two years. And that's because he's hard of hearing. So um, because of that, there was a period in time where he went two weeks without that recertification. And you know what he did? He called in. He didn't work. Um, so as far as the DUI goes, you know, they had accused him of taking these two narcotics, these two pills. Um, they said that, um, actually, here, I'm going to play you a clip from the officer who says, um, he kind of describes what it is that he saw in Burdett when he conducted the field sobriety test. had reason to believe that he had taken some sort of a narcotic analgesic based on the constriction of the pupils and his... Um, his demeanor
0: at the scene of being extremely nonchalant and relaxed. I saw no emotion from him the entire time. Foot close to the ground, not six inches off the ground, as he was instructed. I don't mean to get upset, but it brings back bad memories. Uh, because he had um, stated he had his hands in his head, and he said, "I um, see. What's going on?" He goes, um, "There's a body in the car. Uh, there's a police officer in the car." Okay. And then for me. Answer questions they approached the vehicle, it changed the dynamic of the situation. For me, it wasn't just a car on fire.
1: Okay, so we heard two things there. We heard the officer saying that his pupils um, were constricted, and then we heard him say that during the field sobriety test, Burdett kept touching his foot on the ground and not following the instructions. If I would have been his defense, one, he also went through an impact, which you know could have influenced the way that he was walking. Um, and then two, when this officer is relaying the information and demonstrating how Burdett touched his foot, he lost his balance as well while he was demonstrating this. So, um, and then a lot, uh, you know, a lot of his testimony was also that Burdett showed no emotion. He showed no emotion because he was high on these narcotics, which, you know, I mean, one of them is akin to Zoloft, basically, and it's anti-anxiety medication. It kind of, you know, chills you out. Um, but you heard that second person there, the second voice was a a driver who was kind of involved in the crash. And he said that he saw Burdette walking with his hands on his head, um, pacing. So, you know, is that emotion? Is that not emotion? I don't know. But I'm going to play you Burdette's own words. Um, we got this body camera video exclusively, um, we had it exclusively for a while, and it is from the first officer on scene, and it's the first time that somebody makes contact with Bordet, and we're going to hear what he tells the officer at that time. Is there in it? The frantic moments as the first officer gets to the scene of a horrific crash. LMPD Detective Deidre or Dee Mingadote trapped inside the burning vehicle. This new exclusive video shows the moment when the MSD driver who hit her learns she was dead. Yeah, that's have seen. And where? MSD. Yes, the police officer. Oh
0: my God, she's there,
1: there, right? Yeah. Um, I got traffic units coming out. They're going to have to handle the investigation. did you did you see a female in the car
0: they took somebody told me and when i looked up
1: uh, we- what he was looking at the court documents say was porn from 2 12 p.m through the time of impact at 2:17. he didn't log off the porn until 2 20 three minutes after the crash Here's a look at this other exclusive video. Minga car is in the right lane pulling over a truck. More than a dozen other vehicles move around to the left lane, but here is Burdette's truck, never swerving or stopping before slamming into her car despite what he tells the officer. Hey, uh, what happened? Uh, uh, Do you know what happened? Uh, uh, I right down, right down right the left left left.
0: center lane, right right. Right the slow lane, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And I And last thing I know, I, I'm not even sure I hit the car first, but I think I did.
1: Detective Mingado was 32, leaving behind a nine year old son and dying on Christmas Eve. The pain of her family. I gotta go, I gotta. take care, of car. And the officers who called her a friend. So that right there is, um, you know, Burdette's own words. And the jury, you know, they, were, they found him guilty on all charges.
0: And without much hesitation, one of the faster returning of a verdicts I've seen in a while.
1: Yeah, just a couple of hours. Yeah, I,
0: I know in the, in the Carrollton bus crash case, for instance, the jury was so confused, they ended up in the end giving more years to Larry Mahoney for the people he injured than the people he killed. They were clearly confused at all the nuances, mm. but not so in this case.
1: No, not so. Um, they did convict him of wanton murder, meaning he Knew it was wrong what he was doing, but he did it anyway. Um, And then they did convict him on DUI. um, And then wanted endangerment charges for the other people who were involved in the crash but survived. Now, I will leave it at this, though. Burdette's defense has already filed an appeal.
0: Based on what are they challenging? Uh,
1: They said that he didn't receive a fair trial. um, And so we'll see if that's going to stick.
0: All right. Very good. Well, thank you very much for all your hard work on that case. It's just uh, horrible. We haven't Mm -hmm. even got into the the horrific details for the family. Mm -hmm. Um, A family left behind Uh, have to celebrate that Christmas and every Christmas thereafter with this on their mind. It's one of the most horrible stories we've covered in Mm -hmm. a long, long time. For Natalia Martinez, I'm John Bull. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Wave 3 News Troubleshooters Behind the Investigation. Have a great day.